Hi, this is Deval Patrick, former governor of Massachusetts, and I've got a podcast. We call it Being American. In each episode, we talk about the major challenges that people and families and communities all over the country are facing that need real solutions and how a better understanding of our shared values and objectives can help us bridge the kinds of differences that keep us from those solutions. I interview political figures, elected officials, grassroots organizers, regular citizens, folks in and out of politics and civic life who are in search, like me, of common wisdom in these uncommon times. Join us and help bridge the divide. It's the Being American podcast, which you can subscribe to or download wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to For All, a podcast by ACLU of Mississippi, offering lessons and stories on how to advocate for all Mississippians. I'm Candace Coleman, Communications Director at ACLU of Mississippi. And I'm Delana Tavacol, the Smart Justice Advocate here at the ACLU of Mississippi. This week, we are continuing our series of conversations with Mississippi immigrants, sharing their experiences with discrimination and the barriers they face as Latinx people in the South. You are about to hear from Efren, who is a lifelong immigrants' rights organizer, currently working for a Mississippi-based organization called Yahe. IAJE IAJE stands for Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. They're an immigrant-led grassroots organization with bases across Mississippi. They cover a range of issues affecting immigrants, including labor, LGBTQ, and language rights. Efren currently serves as their organizing director, but this is far from the beginning of his work as a community organizer. In this conversation I had with Efren, you'll hear about the lessons and concerns that he's taken from his experiences as an activist and a community member. Yeah, I'm from Honduras. Um, I'm here in this, this area, Jackson, for over 20 years. And before I uh, joined IAHE, I was uh, kind of doing similar job in my own, you know, with my job. And, and people, you know, always kind of count on me to do this. And that's the reason IAHE um, hired me or looked for me and asked me to mm-hmm. join could you go into a bit more detail about your organizing history for immigrants' rights, both inside Mississippi and outside Mississippi, some of the things that you've done, communities you've worked with, all of that? First, uh, involved for me, you know, to um, work with the community or help the community was in Miami. You know, I learned little things there. I worked with them, you know, with the community. Mostly at that time, was only like uh, situations, you know, like uh, emergency here, there, uh, dead person, accident, fire. But, you know, it was always involved in, in things similar to this because in my country was doing similar uh, situations. So I like uh, things that has been done over there. Here too, I get involved with the people or with the, some uh, leaders, community leaders. And from there, Miami, New Orleans, you know, um, I can say that I was kind of part of the kind of the first few rights, immigration rates to start, I would say, complain or start asking 
uh, about the paper for everyone. And that was like a 1995, I guess, no, a little more, uh, almost 2000. Uh, in the area of Jackson, where I moved to Jackson to Mississippi, um, that too started uh, kind of support uh, other groups that was already here, like Pueblo, Mira, and Emma um, own, and, you know, reach the community, bring him and work with them, or, you know, volunteer mostly. And, and, and you know, and after is Yahi. First time I worked for some organization before I was kind of always volunteer or do stuff on my own. And so what is your job title now with IAHE? It's organizing director for uh, the community, you know, or field director. And what are some of the details of your job? So what's kind of your daily life like? What are your goals and objectives and all of that now? Uh, right now is to get the community do workshops you know, in different towns around Mississippi to tell about the organization, what we do and what we offer and train in different, different stuff or programs that we have for the community. Uh, we have um, English, right, to teach English, computer classes, learn how to make a, their own business, the other... Um, we have a art class, music class, a sport classes, or a sport training, I would say like that. We have all this. Plus, the main thing is the always needed for the community that includes immigration. That's one important part of the main part, I guess. What do you think is important about these programs? Why are they so necessary for the community? It's important because you know, for years, uh, we don't have a voice or we don't have uh, anybody can support this, you know, in these areas, health, education. They, not, there's nobody or it's not exactly a place from, from the government in this area, you know, Mississippi, we don't have that support. It's very hard for the community try to reach with them. They have problems, you know, especially with the English barrier. That's one, number one. And the second, uh, about laws and rules and all this stuff, they have uh, in any different departments. People don't know, but we have the right to have them, especially, I would say, English interpreters in any of these departments. You know, if you go to a clinic, they have to have. It's a law. It's, it's a rule. They they have, even Mississippi have, even there's only the only one state this English speaking, you know, um, formal. Uh, the other state they have, they accept the other two, another language or any language, right? Not here. They everything here has to be English. Now, if you want to get something in Spanish, for example, it's not allowed. Like um, you know, you go, you have the interpreter, but I'm talking about other support like uh, books. Uh, rules or, or things the the community can get, they don't allow in a schools, uh, university. Sure, you and your own and your room, you maybe have it, but if you want to have it there publicly or having the library or thing like that, they don't let you. And that's the reason we we, you know, we uh, I see it's necessary uh, for our group to do that. You know, to to let the people know about what they the rights the right they, they have 
about this. Delana, pieces of what Efren is saying ties directly back into what we learned the last two episodes from Jamie and Vanessa. The language barrier, it plays a major role in how immigrants with Spanish native tongues are treated. Right. And a way that we and other immigrants' rights groups approach our advocacy is through community empowerment, which includes ensuring that immigrants, regardless of language capabilities, know their entitlements as persons living in the United States. On our end, we offer Know Your Rights pamphlets in English and Spanish on what to do if you're approached by local or federal law enforcement. In collaboration with partners including El Pueblo and Mississippi Immigrants' Rights Alliance, several thousands of these pamphlets have already been distributed in central and southern Mississippi. It's important that these tools are designed and made available in collaboration with community, which is what makes the work of local organizers like Efren so essential. If any listeners are interested in receiving these materials or learning more, I would be happy to connect folks to the information that they need. Feel free to contact me at dtavacol at aclums.org. That's D-T-A-V-A-K-O-L at aclu-ms.org. Or check out our website, aclu-ms.org, for more information. All right. Thanks, Delana. Let's get back to Efren. So what is some of the discrimination that you faced? You referenced that you've had these experiences too. Could you talk a bit more about that? I don't get too much discrimination. I guess I will say this, and maybe because I'm uh, kind of a little white <laughs> and uh, that, that changed a little bit. And plus whatever attitude, whatever I know, uh, you know, um, growing, uh, working, uh, know my, my rights. And that's, I don't have that exactly, but I see in my, some of the jobs, I see how they treat the Latinos. And uh, that's why I talk about discrimination. And, and they don't, you know, they, they don't pay it right. They talk to them very bad, you know, uh, because they think, they probably don't understand everything they say, but it's, at least you understand something or somebody say something, right? And me, I was kind of, kind of both, uh, kind of, you know, like in the middle, because sometimes I was the foreman, supervisor, or, or the boss, but I has kind of deal with the, the top and with the Latinos on the, in between. And, and I see when they talk about it, you know, I hear them, Maybe they don't say it to them directly sometimes. Another time they say, but people don't understand. And that's what I mean with discrimination. Okay, let's pause here, Delana, because Efren said something that I really want to clarify. He said that he doesn't face as much discrimination because he's a little more white. And by that, he meant he passes much of the time for a person closer to Caucasian than Latino. Efren is acknowledging here that because he knows English and because he has this proximity to whiteness, that he's afforded promotion and opportunities that aren't always accessible, accessible rather for much of his community. So this is where racism and colorism cross, and it has shown up in histories of all people of color. Right. And this is just one way that we can recognize intersectionality play out within a specific group. So folks are often pigeonholed into boxes that don't always reflect the complexity of identity. U.S. Census data, for example, includes Hispanics as white. 
Yet in activist spaces, Hispanic and Latinx people are characterized. Er, yet in activist spaces, Hispanic and Latinx people are categorized as brown, recognizing the ways in which their oppression mirrors that of other communities of color in this country. Efren's experiences as a white passing Latino are really one look at how no group is a monolith. One of the things is the hair issues. That's one main thing. Normally, they're always asking for IDs, uh, social security. If you don't have it, they attend you. Uh, but they, they maybe attend you the first time, but then for the second time, you don't provide this. And different, you know, don't have to be the hospital. It can be any clinic, any health department. And they don't allow you to, to see the doctor. And, and sometimes they want you to bring an interpreter. That's another thing. And, uh, and because you can afford one, maybe, because it's, it's cost money, you bring your child, but your child is not supposed to be there. You know, he needs to be, he's not old enough to understand the language, you know, the medical language. Uh, what the doctor say, if he say it wrong, can be a very damage, you know, for the person. But in the other jobs, uh, like a police stations um, or any other departments, it's kind of same thing. And you can go there, uh, you know, try to get some, um, like a school example. You try to register your son. Even your son born here, they give you a hard time because they want you, uh, they ask you for specific uh, papers, right? That's really infuriating. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you get upset about it. Uh, it's people all the time calling me about it. You know, um, just get a call yesterday for that. How much of immigrants' adversities in Mississippi would you say are related to the ways that these communities have been treated by local or federal law enforcement agencies? They see your driver driving. Uh, they stop you for nothing. And, and uh, they choose a reason. They say something about a light or something, but it's not that. They want you to provide papers. That's the number one. Because they are working with ICE, you know, immigration officers. They even, they even officers, they are kind of disguised or they are uh, using police uniform. They have the ICE too, but they're very little. You don't see it, you think they are police. And when they stop you and the car police, they are using, and, and you can see them, and that's when they arrest you or take you to, to jail. But in different places, like I say, it's more, it's more heavy. Are there any kind of specific stories of this sort of hardship that immigrants have faced that stuck with you throughout your work? That had to get close to you, and as soon as you get closer, you try to answer something because you don't go wrong when you see them. But that's the way, or knock the door in the apartments or houses, and they came with this picture, right? And they say, Oh, do you know this guy? As soon as you say anything or open the door or something, they say, Give me your papers. You don't have it. I don't have it. Or have this. Okay, come on. They arrest you. And in similar situation, I've seen it. In an apartment complex, I saw this um, kind of broke by force the, the doors and grabbed this kid, the 15 year kid. They even kick him or punch him, you know, throw it to, to the ground. But the father and him, they have permit to stay here. 
but, but they took him by mistake, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, that's what they say. They have to take it. They have an order for them. And like I say, they lie a lot of times. That's uh, some of the cases I can say that has been, uh, I see it. Efren says that he hopes to see everyone in charge, from the Biden administration and ICE to state and local officials, to respect the rights of immigrants of all statuses. So how do we show up for each other? That's the question that we'll try to answer each episode. As Efren mentioned in his stories, oftentimes local law enforcement agents assist ICE agents in finding and arresting people who are undocumented and even wrongfully arresting those who are documented. So ally with immigrant communities and immigrant neighbors and demand that your local law enforcement agencies end their voluntary collaboration with ICE. Thank you, Delana and Efren, for a very informative conversation. We have one more episode in this series on immigrants' rights. Next week, we'll be revisiting our town hall with Congressman Vinnie Thompson, the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. For more information on ACLU of Mississippi's current work to end local law enforcement's entanglement with ICE, visit ACLUMS.org, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ACLUMS.org. ACLU underscore MS and on Facebook at ACLU of Mississippi. Go be an advocate for all.